we're coming back to a sermon series called New Nature, New Community after a break. Um, it's based on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter that a follower of Jesus wrote to a church. Uh, this is happening after Christ came, died, rose, and ascended to heaven. Uh, and his disciples were going, uh, spreading this amazing news about Christ all over the world. Um, we're into the second part of the second chapter of this book. And if you missed the first three talks, they're available on all streaming platforms. Uh, if you prefer video, we are on YouTube. Uh, do watch uh, these three, and, and uh, I really hope that they speak to you. In the previous sermons on this book, we've seen how uh, believing in the gospel changes us individually. Paul goes to the extent to say that we were dead in our sins. We were dead. He doesn't say we were bad. He says we were dead in our sins. And Christ brought us to life. Thereby giving us a complete new life and a new nature. And that impacts every aspect of our life. Now he is transitioning to the part where he tells us how it impacts our relationships in this community that Christ is creating, in this new community, the church. Today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 18. I've requested Sudhir to read the chapter for us. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of, two, in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is God's word. Thanks, Sudhir. Let's just pray before we start. Uh, Father, we really want to thank you for this amazing grace uh, through which we absolute aliens and strangers uh, to you and your covenant uh, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We don't deserve this, but in your sovereignty, you have chosen to love us. And so we are here today. Uh, would you speak to our hearts today? Holy Spirit, would you apply the gospel deeper to our hearts, this, this deep beautiful riches 
would you make it all the more beautiful to our hearts this morning and let this change the way uh, uh, we live and relate to each other in this community that you have formed. We worship you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, the talk this morning is going to be uh, broken into three parts. The first we're going to be looking at is hostility in this new community. Second thing, we'll look at peace in the new community. And the third thing, enjoying peace with God. Hostility in the new community, peace in the new community, and enjoying peace with God. Um, let's, let's go into the first point, hostility in this new community. Now, if you've seen the passage, it's talking about two people groups. Uh, if this is your first time in a church or to Christianity, the two people groups are Jews and Gentiles. God in his sovereignty chose to bring Jesus through a line of Israelites. He picked Israel as a nation to display his goodness and Jesus came through them. And so these Israelites or Jews would consider anyone who is not a Jew a Gentile. So the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, and we're seeing some hostility between these two. Yeah? Um, verse 14 says there's a hostility. Let's see what is happening here. What is the hostility? In verse 11, we see, therefore, remember, Paul is writing to a Gentile church, which is the Ephesians. They are not racially Jews, but now they have been affected by the good news of Jesus and they've been brought near. He's saying, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. You see, the, the, the new community that Christ is forming does something impossible. It brings two people groups who can't see eye to eye, who are absolutely hostile to each other. The Jews didn't even want to talk to Gentiles. They wouldn't touch the things that they would touch. The church, the new community that Jesus through his blood is building brings these two absolutely hostile groups together in one community. We see in the passage that Jews would call these Gentiles, which is actually us, we are not racially Jews but have been brought in, they would call them the uncircumcision. This must have been as derogatory and painful as any of these modern terms that we use to describe races. The uncircumcision. These highly incompatible people groups were being forged and formed in one community in Jesus. How is this possible? When there's so much hurt and when there's so much animosity between them both, how is this possible? If I were to write to this church, I would write, hey, see, I know that you guys don't see eye to eye. I know that you guys are hurt. They don't even like you. They probably don't even want to do life with you. They call you the uncircumcision. But don't worry. In Christ, we're all equal. We're all the same. This is true. But Paul doesn't go there yet. You know what he says before seeing this? It comes up in verse 11, in verse 12. Remember that you 
were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What is he doing here? Writing to this predominantly Gentile church, Paul is reminding them, the bigger problem is not your hostility with Jews. Your deeper and bigger problem was your hostility with God himself. Separated from Christ, strangers to the covenant, no hope, no God. This was your reality. And then he goes on to say, you were brought near. But before he goes there, he says all of this. When we forget how hostile we are to God apart from Christ, it becomes easier to grow hostile with God's people. When we forget how hostile we are to God apart from Christ, it becomes easier to grow hostile with God's people. Now today in this culture, we might not have this Jew and Gentile hostility, but we have our own versions of hostility, don't we? Um, even though the world is now connected more than ever, we call ourselves the one global community, we're seeing an increasing trend of diverse and disparate groups. We're seeing this as nations. Every country wants to assert themselves as better than the other country. Every country wants to make their country great again. We're seeing this in the growing uh, hostility between nations and the helpless state of our international groups like United Nations to bring them together. We're seeing this in our religions as well. Um, religions all over the world, the, the Hindus, the Muslims, uh, even us, the Christians, we, are, we, we, are, we want to show why we are better off than the others, why our culture is better. Sadly, even the Christians, we, instead of being humble servants serving the world and showing the love of Christ, we have this hard posture of we are, we are okay, we are better. Everything else is trash. We're seeing this in the global church as well. And I have to be really honest, I struggle this, uh, with this. When I see other churches, my first response is, how is New City as a church better than this church? I, that's an ugly, hard posture to have, but that's real. We're seeing this even within the local church. The Indian church has been plagued with caste discrimination all this while. But probably in a church like us, in a city like us, it's more class disparity. It's more pay disparity. Don't we instinctively like a certain set of people better? We want to associate with them more. Um, it is present, friends. This hostility is real. Now, the world may come up with 100 solutions to this problem of hostility, but God's solution to this problem of hostility between people is the church, is the new community. What was unthinkable during those times, Jews and Gentiles coming together, was first possible only in the church of Christ. How do these polar opposites come together in one community? How can there be peace in this new community? 
friends whenever we talk about peace with regards to people and our relationships with other people we have an understanding that is probably sort of incomplete and shallow compared to what the bible tells us our current version of peace in this culture is you don't mess with me i won't mess with you we're cool yeah it it, it is it, you it probably even defines as putting our differences aside and accepting each other for who we are and living without conflict or even harmoniously yes this is there but this is a very shallow understanding of what peace with in community in the church is as christians let's see what the bible helps us see as peace in this new community when the bible talks about peace it talks about how christ brought peace between two impossible groups to come together which is a holy god and wretched and sinful men and how christ died on the cross and appeased this really holy and perfect god's wrath on our behalf thereby bringing us together giving us access to god himself this is the depth of peace this is the peace that the bible talks about we see paul say this but now in christ jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ and then he says he himself is our peace he himself is our peace friends every other peace peace at work peace at family peace with our finances every other peace flows from this peace with god himself all peace inwardly and outwardly is an expression of do i have peace with god we'll see how that plays out conflict entered the world when we look at genesis conflict entered the world when man lost his peace with god the first humans adam and eve after they eat the fruit moment when god comes and asks what did you do that's when adam says it's not my fault this woman you gave came with fruit let's see how it goes on to cain and abel their sons and uh, when when cain loses favor with god and he sees abel has favor with god he grows jealous and murders him conflict entered the world when man lost his peace with god it didn't start as losing peace with each other it lost with man losing peace with god himself so how does christ our peace impact our relationships now in this broken world here's what paul says in verse 14 for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility see what he's saying he's broken this wall of hostility down in his flesh 
this very Christ who accomplished peace between two impossible parties, a holy God and a sinful man, is the very same Christ who is making peace between our difficult relationships. When he died on the cross, when his body was broken and torn for you and me, this hostility that holds us apart was also torn along with it. Can we picture, see the picture that he's drawing, this hostility tore in his flesh. This has some powerful implications for us today, my friends. This is, this is, this is amazing. Look at what he's saying in verse 15. He says, he's, he's broken down in, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Here's the beauty. The new community that Christ is talking about is not just two becoming one, which is Gentiles joining the Jews or the Jews joining the Gentiles. No. He says it is saved Jews and the saved Gentiles coming together as a whole new man forming the church, this new community. Let me draw a parallel for us to understand this better. As in Indian culture, it's probably little difficult for us to understand this. Allow me to draw it with the help of the institution of marriage, which is a close community. It's a vulnerable community. It's the deepest form of community here on earth. Here's what it looks like. As Indians, we believe when, when two people get married, we become part of each other's family. The wife joins the husband's family, or in today's progressive India, even vice versa, is possible. But according to the Bible, in marriage, the wife and the husband come from two respective families. They leave their families and cleave to each other as a new community, as in one joint unit. It's a new unit. It's not one joining the two. So it is within the church. No matter what country we are from, no matter what race we belong to, no matter what religion we are born into, when Jesus saves us, we become part of one new community where our primary identity is saved people whom Christ saved. We are the church. You, you Look at this. Look at this. We have people coming who are born into different religions. We're coming from different states. But what brings us together? What's our primary identity is what Christ did for us. We are Christ's church. This is a new community. So if this is true, if this is an entire new community whose primary identity is Christ's church, what does this mean for us? In this new community, there cannot be horizontal reconciliation, that is with one another, without a vertical reconciliation first with God. You and I can't reconcile unless you can you can I not you and I can't have real reconciliation unless we have reconciled with God first. How does this play out? Let me go back to the example of marriage again. 
there are times when my wife and i are in conflict and in that moment it is so hard to see anything else apart from the other person's fault it is so impossible now in that moment there are two ways to go about it the first is to say this is not going anywhere i'll wave the white flag just say i'm sorry move on with it thereby establishing peace in the relationship now this is my sadly my response to it i don't want to deal with the issue i just want peace on my terms the shallow peace now what happens is invariably down the line it comes back up prouncing from under that carpet that i swept it under the second response is to just pause in that moment and say hey what is the gospel telling me here it tells me that i am flawed but i'm also loved so in this moment even though i cannot see my flaw it's impossible for my sinful mind to see my flaw i gather up the courage to say i can't see it but can you please tell me how i hurt you how my flaw hurt you even though every inclination of my heart is to not do that why do i do this when i see the beauty of what christ is forming in this new community the marriage and see how precious it is to him i find the courage to die to myself what is important to christ becomes important to me the gospel says i'm flawed but i'm loved this very flaw that is keeping us apart is the flaw that christ died for and was torn in his flesh and destroyed so you and i can make peace real peace and often times this has been more healing to my heart than that that shallow peace where i just say sorry let's just move on that is not real peace friends in the second response we pause to see how beautiful and important that this new community that christ is forming the church when we pause to see that when we have conflicts within us when there's hostility within us we find the courage to die to ourselves what happens when we don't enjoy vertical reconciliation before we get to horizontal reconciliation what happens two things both terrible first thing we rush towards a superficial horizontal reconciliation which won't last the moment the next trouble comes we are back at it second thing the second response we have zero motivation for any sort of reconciliation with the other person my peace your peace stay where you are when vertical reconciliation doesn't happen when we are not broken by our sinfulness and repent and and repent for the sin that is keeping us apart there cannot be any horizontal reconciliation in this new community as a community we desperately need to grow in enjoying this vertical peace with god that is going to impact everything else 
how do we grow in enjoying this peace with god how do we grow christ has achieved this peace this passage says he himself is our peace hey but in our sinfulness in our brokenness we don't still really quite enjoy it do we we probably don't even enjoy we probably don't even understand what are the practical implications of having peace with god so what does this mean and how can we grow in experiencing this i'd like to speak to two sets of us the first is those of us who are followers of jesus and then i'm going to talk to those of us who are exploring jesus who this is probably all new to you um i'm i'm going to try and with the spirit's help speak to your heart as well this morning of what this means in our journey right now followers of jesus look at verse 17 what he says and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to who to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father the peace that jesus bought for us that has made us right with the father has given us access to the father himself so peace with god literally means having access to father to the father himself when jesus was on earth but just before he would ascend he was telling he told his disciples peace i leave with you my peace i give to you what does this mean the access that i enjoyed that jesus himself enjoyed with the father in his life on earth that access is what we receive my peace i give to you hey this access is not like it's not patchy it's not like zoom where can you hear me can you hear me no this access is clear absolute access to god at any time so if peace with god means having access to the father how much peace we enjoy is directly proportional to how much of this access we avail if if enjoying peace with god is directly proportional to having access with god how much peace we enjoy is directly proportional to how much of this access we avail so followers of jesus here's my question to us how much of this access that jesus bought with his blood are we availing and enjoying how are we taking our joys and successes to the father how are we taking our sorrows disappointments and blah moments to our father jesus showed us this in his time on earth as fully man and fully god he did this to show us and he did this on our behalf at the peak of his ministry when everyone was worshiping him and saying you become the next king all hail jesus in that moment where he was enjoying the love of everybody he withdrew and spent time with the father when things got really bad when all they were doing was wanting to kill him and murder him and plotting this in the garden of garden of gethsemane in the deepest of sorrows when his blood turned when his sweat turned into blood he was enjoying 
time with his father and speaking to him. But on the cross when he, when he took your sin and mine and was hanging there, in that moment, this father turned his face away so that you and I can have this access. Friends, my question is, how much of this access are we enjoying? How much of this access are we enjoying? Only when we enjoy this peace will it flow into our relationships, it will flow into our work, it will flow into everything else in our lives. If you're an explorer this morning, allow me to help us see how this peace that Jesus offers is different from any other peace that we can get. The peace our finances offers lasts only while our money lasts. The peace of Jesus can be experienced in our lack. The peace that our family offers lasts only until they're alive. If you've been blessed to grow up in a healthy home or, or if, you've grown, if you've grown up in a broken home, this peace is probably just a dream to you. But Christ's peace embraces us in this very brokenness. The peace from our careers lasts only when our company is doing well, our boss is super happy with us, our businesses are doing well. The moment things start go downhill, this peace vanishes. And the peace of Jesus holds true even in the midst of of this. Here's my point. The peace that the world offers does not account for a real broken world. Because the moment we experience brokenness, that peace vanishes. This is unrealistic peace. The peace that Jesus offers is real because it accounts for our brokenness. It accounts for the brokenness of the world. It paid for our own brokenness and it embraces us in the midst of our brokenness. Today, my, my, my one true desire is that you experience this peace that Jesus bought for us on that cross, this real peace. Allow me to just pray even as I close. Father, the peace that our hearts are searching for, the peace that the world is craving for, can be achieved and was achieved on the cross when Jesus died for us. This peace, this peace, we can experience it even in our brokenness. So I feel, so I pray, Holy Spirit, you don't, I don't know where each of our hearts are, but you know. I don't know where each of our hearts are struggling to, to uh, struggling with chaos. But you know, would you bring the peace of Christ 
into our lives this morning. Lord, for those of us who are exploring Holy Spirit, it is you who apply the peace that Christ brought on the cross to our hearts. And I, and I know for truth that you want to apply it in our hearts this morning. Would you do this for us? This peace of, of enjoying being embraced by a holy God himself, being loved, cherished, Would you apply this deeper into our hearts this morning, Holy Spirit? Lord, we wait for the day when in the new heavens and the new earth, this peace that we are longing for, complete wholeness, divide of any hostility, divide of any brokenness, is going to be a reality for us, the new community, the church. Up until that day, Holy Spirit, would you sit with us in our brokenness and apply the peace of Christ in our hearts. Thank you for doing this for us, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.